Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. Finding, finding, finance, finding financing, building a brand, running a more efficient operation, and becoming a more effective leader is on tonight's agenda. We're going to start off with our first guest, Dan Antonelli, who is CEO and creative director of a New Jersey advertising agency, Graphic D Designs. Uh, we invited him on the program because he wants to talk about branding, and I think that's extremely important in this day, day and age, especially for small business. But, but as always, we start off our first uh, our guest by asking a little bit about their personal background. How do they get to where they are now? Dan, the floor is yours, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Don, and thanks for having me tonight. Um, yes, my name is Dan Antonelli, and like Don mentioned, I'm the president and creative director of Graphic Designs. Um, I run a advertising agency in the western part of New Jersey um, that focuses exclusively on small businesses and their marketing needs. Um, like so many other small businesses, I started my agency 20 years ago in the basement of my home, and um, at that point, I really saw a need for uh, small businesses and having a single source for them to develop and market um, their businesses. So initially we focused on everything from doing, um, you know, trucks and lettering on their trucks to uh, business cards and brochures. And um, at that time, even early on in the mid-90s, we were doing, you know, some early stuff on web development. Uh, but basically, even before that time, you know, when I was 14 or 15 years old, I was always really interested in, in branding, um, and I did a lot of uh, um, lettering on trucks. I worked at many different sign shops, and uh, that's really how I came to, you know, get passionate about working with brands. Uh, and, you know, even from that young age, it was just really always something I was immensely interested in and, um, you know, loved seeing my work driving around town and, and love seeing the the impact that you know a really good brand would have on a small business. And uh, you know, I, I went to college. Um, I went to the University of Scranton and got a degree in, in advertising and communications. And um, worked for a little bit as a graphic designer. And and I started the the business while I was working full time. And finally had enough work to be able to quit my day job, so to speak, and and focus on my own business. And uh, it's been it's been an amazing ride you know, since. And, you know, we're up to uh, almost 14 employees now and, uh, you know, just loving every minute of it, just having such a great time working with all these, these small businesses. It still gets me excited and, you know, that's what gets me going every day. Uh, Dan, before we get into yours, I see one of our other guests showed up and I want to bring him, uh, him on board just to let him know that uh, we know he's there. Welcome to okay. the show. Uh, Hello, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Don. Good to be here. Is this Andy? It's Dan Lee. That's right. Yeah, okay, Dan. Um, if you don't mind uh, waiting um, while Dan talks, and then we're going to bring you in because you have some, uh, some also some very interesting things to say. So do you mind uh, uh, sticking around and listening in? And if you have a pertinent oh. com comment, uh, uh, we, we look forward to hearing from it, okay? Oh, I, no, that's great. I'm uh, interested in, uh, you know, Dan and what he's got to say anyway, so I thought I'd just go on ahead and listen in. Okay. 
but I wanted to make sure you knew it, uh, you knew that I knew you were on. But now, we're back, Dan, we're back to you. And my, okay. first, my first question always is, what is branding? So branding, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term that gets thrown around a lot. And, and you know, part of the, the, the reason why, you know, I, I, I wrote my book was to really try to drill down a little bit, but more on a level for small businesses because you see the term used uh, frequently. And, and a lot of small businesses, I think, are intimidated by the term or don't necessarily really have a good understanding of what it means. And, and most people really, you know, on the, most people think that a brand is really just a logo, um, but really, a brand is is basically what people feel uh, about your business and what their perception of your your business is. Um, I think the difference when you think about a small business brand versus a corporate brand is that you know from our perspective and from my experience, um, the logo isn't really just a part of the brand, but rather it's the, the central component. Um, if you think of if you think of a logo as the the hub on a bicycle wheel. And then you have all these components going around that bicycle wheel, but the logo is really in the center. So you have, you know, your your website, your social media channels, um, you have your print brochures, uh, your outdoor advertising. So you have all these other things revolving around that logo, but the logo really becomes the, the central component, becomes the driving force. And collectively, then, that wheel is essentially uh, your brand. So, you know, the importance of building that brand um, and coordinating, you know, all the different times a consumer may come in contact with your company are really part of the reasons why that brand is so critical to a small business. Well, now, you're saying the logo, you're equating the logo to the brand. Uh, Yes, what I'm saying is the logo is really the, the central component, and then you have all these other pieces that comprise around that logo to really make the brand as a unit. Well, uh, many small businesses, in our experience, have, have seemed to use view the logo almost as an afterthought. That's yet correct. Hearing, yet if I'm hearing you correctly, you think this should be a focus, some way of uh, identifying and separating the small business uh, in some way. Well, I, I think it should always remain as the foundation from which you do everything. So, you know, a great logo is really going to set the tone for the brand promise for that small business. So it's really important that you, you know, pay careful consideration at the launch of any small business to what your branding is going to represent and then to ensure that all the different uh, various touch points that, you know, your customers are likely going to be engaging your company with are, are very well coordinated and communicate and carry that brand message throughout. Well, well, then, that being the case, how, do you, how does a, uh, a small business go about identifying what the logo should look like and what it should reflect? Well, certainly they want to, you know, do some research about who their demographics are um, and who they're targeting with their company and what they want their message to be. So do they want to be perceived as a premium brand? Do they want to be uh, perceived as... Um, you know, a company that's very helpful, that's friendly, that's warm, that's technologically superior. You know, these are all questions that, you know, you want to try to think about before you actually, you know, even start considering what that brand um, is going to visually look like. So we like to engage in, in a process early on with our clients is, you know, ask them those questions about, you know, who really is our target audience, you know, and what is the message that we're trying to say. So, you know, if you consider, like, if someone, if you were to hand your business card to someone and that was all they had to give a snapshot of who your company was and what your company represents, what would you want that message to be and what would you want it to say about your company? Well, that's all, that's all well and good, but most small businesses uh, wouldn't approach it that way. Um, as you're talking, I'm thinking of our logo, which is just a... Um, which is just our name of, of the overall company, which is Information Strategies, and we have mm-hmm. a flip Lee, uh, and we're an information company. So you're saying, in effect, um, in a, uh, I'm a big boy, uh, somehow or other we should have done something more to um, kind of uh, 
get across the idea that not only would provide information, <clears throat> but in, intelligence. Um, in, in our case, it, it's it certainly is something that. In an ideal world, it's the first thing you think about before you, you do anything um, because it really is what is going to drive um, the rest of your channels and, and, and what's communicated. And, and, you know, your situation is not unique in terms of, well, we, we, you know, we haven't really thought too much about the logo itself. We're, you know, we're so busy in figuring out how we're going to start this company or launch this company. And, and you know, that's really where a lot of small businesses make, make the mistake is they've invested so many resources in how they start their business, whether it's, uh, you know, capital expenditures for furniture, equipment, things like that, and then they come right time to open up their doors, and then it's when they decide, hey, we, we need a logo, I, I need a business card, uh, we've got to get a website. And, uh, you know, it, it's something that's, you know, really should be thought of right at the onset. You know, what are we trying to communicate as a company and, and how do we get that message across? Um, and how do we look more professional and how do we look more on par with some of these companies that are our competitors and, and what they look like? Well, let's, let's take a couple of examples. Let's say I'm a technology company. What should mm-hmm. I look for in a logo? You certainly want to look, you know, have elements of the logo that look um, that look modern, that look look up to date. Um, you don't want to have, you know, topography or graphic symbols that look dated, that maybe look amateurish or clip artish. Um, you want to make sure that, um, you know, it looks like it was professionally done, and not just the logo itself, but how that logo translates onto your website, onto your business card. Um, is there a unifying element of your brand that can be um, that can be used throughout your other channels to holistically create that brand experience? So it's it's more than just the logo; it's also the implementation of the logo and making sure that that logo that you have um, is going to work across you know those different channels. I'll give you you know quick examples are you know we do a lot of companies in the tech the technology sector that are very small companies that are competing against very large companies and you could go to their website and look at how they look uh, compared to their largest competitor and if the branding is done right they look like they're on the same footing as that larger competitor and that's really what a great brand is supposed to do and, and that's why from a f- small business standpoint that is going against some, some larger companies, that's really where it becomes very critical, you know, in order to give credibility to that company and to be taken seriously. Well, let's, let's take another uh, sector which uh, is part of our audience. We're, we're a service company. We offer uh, landscaping. We offer uh, uh, sure. uh, cleaning. What do you look, wh- wh- where do you go with, with that sort of uh, a logo? So, so the, you know, we, we deal with a lot of service companies. It's probably one of our core core client sectors. And, you know, when you think about the choices that go into, um, you know, when a consumer is going to choose who they're going to do business with and, and if they're going to compare apples to apples and look at the estimates from three different companies, but one of those companies looks like a premium vendor or a premium brand, um, it's usually a lot easier for that consumer to make a decision to go with a company that looks more professional. It may sound obvious, but certainly choosing a company that's, that looks more professional in all their marketing material helps instill confidence that, you know, A, this company is not going to go out of business anytime soon, that they care enough to invest in their own image. So when they come to my home, I believe I'm going to get treated with that same level of care. Um, and certainly if their price points are higher than their other two competitors, um, we certainly want to build a brand that creates that brand promise that speaks to that consumer and says, hey, you know what, contractor C is a little more expensive than contractor A and B, but it certainly looks like they do really great work. So if I can, if I can instill that confidence and give that consumer a reason why that they should choose contractor C with, with who, whose brand presentation is professional, um, you know, they're going to have a strategic advantage over contractor A and B who don't pay much attention to their branding. Well, let me ask you, um, I happen to notice a, a service cleaning group uh, uh, next door cleaning out a house uh, during the day today, and they have this bright-looking uh, guy, guy with a broom, uh, a cartoon character as their 
of their logo. I can't tell you the mm-hmm. name of the company, but I can remember the logo. Is that mm-hmm. do you sometimes use uh, characters as a, a way of, for the logo? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we we certainly deploy a lot of characters and and a lot of our branding. Uh, we do a lot of mascots. Um, again, especially in the service sector, whether it's for a cleaning company, we've done several in that sector, and we've also done a lot. Uh, for heating and air conditioning contractors. And, again, part of what, what you're saying is, you know, recognizing and remembering a component of that brand. Now, unfortunately, for their sake, you didn't remember the name of the company, but at least you started forming the foundations of remembering that company. And, um, you know, the the challenge with a lot of branding for most small businesses is that they don't stand out. They basically blend in. Uh, so, again, the, the point of a good brand is to uh, develop an image that stands out um, and, you know, doesn't fit in. I mean, we, we, you know, we say we don't want our clients to, um, you know, clients don't want to be in the haystack. They want to be the needle in the haystack. Well, uh, you, you've written a book, which I, I found very interesting. The, the title of your book is? It's uh, Building a Big Small Business Brand. And uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, Dan, would you consider uh, staying around and uh, uh, contributing? um, Of course. Because uh, Dan Lee has been on the line, and I want to move on uh, to him because uh, uh, he he wants to talk about how how to run a more business a a small business more efficiently. And I want uh, Dan. uh, to come front and center, and uh, we ask every guest before anything else to say a little bit about their uh, personal background so we know a little bit about them. Sure, Don, I'll be, be happy. Uh, Dan, uh, uh, some real interesting comments there, and I was uh, trying to absorb all of them. Maybe uh, by the end of the evening I can take some of those ideas and we can roll them into what we're doing at Next Desk. But just a quick uh, Cliff Notes version of my background uh, uh, I was a, basically a operational executive for a large jewelry company for a lot of years, Donald. And uh, in uh, uh, the late uh, 90s, I was in a position to take an early retirement from that company uh, because uh, uh, my uh, father had passed and my mother wasn't really uh, in a position to take care of herself, and I wanted to make sure that in her twilight years, she would be able to transition in an honorable way. And so I was able to do that for four years. But when she did transition and passed, I was able to, I thought, well, I would, so that uh, I could go out here and have some fun, I thought I would consult for a while, when, and I did. And uh, while I was on a consultant job, I ran into a young fellow that uh, was almost young enough to be my son who was a real marketing guru, real, uh, I'd never seen anybody that had a knack like he did for creating that and doing uh, web information and things like that. And so he was really in the forefront of technology side of it where I was more operational, Donald. And uh, so we uh, started another company or two and did well with those as small businesses. But ultimately, uh, Jason is a, uh, uh, you know, we're at an age where I think people are trying to take better care of themselves, uh, Donald. And people are lifestyle conscious these days. And so even I'm staying away from GMO foods and uh, trying to eat grass-fed and organic. I'm, we're not vegans or anything. But when uh, uh, my partner was working in his home office, he's a marathoner. And so he, got, he takes it to the next level. I do exercise at home and things like that. But he marathons, does a couple of Ironmans and things like that. And, in his home office, he was using a height-adjustable standing desk that he had procured from some company years ago. And he got together with me and he said, Dan, he said, this is great. I like to stand and sit at interval, but he said, this is just not the quality that I think they've missed their market here. And we got started discussing it, and we saw the height-adjustable desk. And what he was really talking about was culturally I think that the workplace needs to change their paradigm and the way that they're looking at relegating their employees to a sitting position all day long. Technology is a good thing, but if we look into the normal workplace today, most everyone, uh, if they're not in a cubicle, but most everyone is in a sitting position. And uh, 
this has some huge negative long-term health implications because most people that are at a, a desk sitting all day, not only are they relegated to sitting, but when they leave work and they go home, what do, you, what do they do, Donald? They sit some more. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm just sitting here realizing that I spent this entire day, except for shoveling snow this morning, sitting at my desk. You're absolutely right. Well, and, and, and the thing, the epiphany that we got here is we've become a pill-taking society where everything is symptomatic and no one's really after causational issues. fact is, the, getting to the cause is going to ruin a lot of businesses. <laughs> if, if you go at the core of what's creating the health issues, and we have a lot of people at the workplace that uh, aren't in good health uh, because of lifestyle. And one of the big lifestyle changes that we're after is a couple of the other businesses that we had were based upon cultural changes in the way we do things. And uh, one of the things I'll tell you, uh, Jason and I were in Israel and had come back uh, from a business trip there. And, and uh, we're in Texas, by the way, guys, just so you know where we're located, just north of Austin is our manufacturer, our campus, where we have Next Desk. And they have a beautiful memorial there for the great congresswoman and spokesman, uh, Barbara Jordan. You guys uh, that are a little older might remember her. But uh, she had something that really struck me, and it said, uh, you know, whatever you do in life, I hope you can find something you're passionate about. And this is what really got us. But she says, I hope that whatever you do, whenever you do make your exit from the planet, you can feel like or say that you made a difference. And that was powerful. And and so what we're really after here is we're looking at being at the core of a paradigm shift and changing the way American business looks at their workplace and change that whole paradigm for what offices look like. And now back to the... Uh, I can use that as a segue back to where we were earlier, Donald. We were, we ordered a bunch of these. Uh, and the thing that struck us is most of these height adjustable desks weren't real pricey. You know what I mean? Uh, and when we got them, they came from places, uh, countries that we couldn't even pronounce their names, most of them. And uh, after uh, I had, I was so dumb early in my life, I had to visit IKEA twice. No disrespect to IKEA guys, if you're with IKEA listening to this broadcast today, I don't mean any irreverence to your thing. But um, we found ourselves sitting in his den. We moved everything out of the den so we could try to assemble some of these desks. And three hours later, with our legs crossed, we had screws left over. You know. <laughs> <laughs> what, are the three, uh, uh, what are the three uh, uh, most feared words in America? In America? Some assembly required. <laughs> yeah, that's the art of understatement there, boy. I'm going to tell you. And, and some of these uh, deaths that came from these places that we couldn't pronounce, uh, that when they write, to, when they try to translate instructions into a different language, they don't translate well. And uh, it was almost, it, it was the sad, it was comical, laughable, you know. And so we got to this, and, and we realized that at that particular point, we had a huge opportunity because we felt like they'd completely missed the point on their their client. Uh, they were all about building something to an inexpensive price point, and they didn't realize that the client that was into health or that had lower back issues, or they they were uh, they realized that we needed to stand you know uh, into health and this that and the other. That type of a client wasn't a particle board client. Uh, they wanted something that was a substance. Uh, a lot of them probably are uh, professional people, upper middle class. Many of them own businesses, uh, entrepreneurs, if you will, and they have so, a lot of employees or small employees. Some have as many as little as five or six employees. Some have thousands. And uh, uh, absentee law work. May I interrupt you in the interest of time? So you, yeah. you decided to do something about it. We did. We did. And what did so, you do? Go ahead. No, and what did you do? Well, what we did is we said, let's don't look at the price. Let's, what would we build a desk out of? What, would, what materials would be? And so we selected uh, bamboo, and uh, bamboo, because it's the most sustainable hard substance that's available, it's a grass, but every five to seven years it comes completely back. And uh, it's four times harder than oak, and uh, we use uh, the finishes on it, no VOCs or anything like that, and we use 
reconstituted or remanufactured aluminum, it's more expensive than steel, you know, painted steel and what have you, because it takes 95% less energy to recycle aluminum as opposed to taking aluminum and making it into aluminum. So uh, we did that. And then uh, instead of going through traditional distribution channels like these other companies were going through, we decided to go directly to professionals and end users through website. And we built our website. And uh, so we had a small audience in the beginning. And then we started this in January of 2012. So we're coming past our second year now. And we were, you know, doing a few deaths a, a week in the beginning and this, that, and the other. And uh, to give you an example, uh, our growth curve right now, uh, here's a quick example. And because of the length of time, I realize this, to give you an example of what's happened. We had someone who ordered uh, one of our, it's called a Terra model, next desk, which has a solid bamboo top. And we've gone after aesthetics and minimalist look. The desks that we saw look like they were pieced together from different places, different parts, and most of them look like they belonged in a factory in Detroit. They didn't really look like they would be have any eye appeal or aesthetic beauty in an office or even in your home. So we had a young lady in Denver last fall ordered the next desk for her home office. Turns out she was a CFO for a company called Elevation Group out there. And they, they, uh, this summer, they opened the executive offices in Austin, and they ordered 26 of the next desks for their offices because she liked it so much. So that's the way our business started to mushroom, is once these executives and centers of influence get the firsthand experience, they realize this is something they wanted to emulate, emulate through their human resource department. Uh, retention's a big deal right now. and when uh, you show that you're caring enough for your employees, that you're interested in their health. A lot of great companies have lost some great employees because they've been hawked away from headhunters. And so that's one of the issues. And then the other issue is insurance costs. If uh, you can write down your insurance policies for a large company quite a bit because your, your health of your employees is being rated uh, much better than the norm, then it can save you a huge amount of money on your insurance costs too. And so, so anyway, that's kind of the Cliff Notes version. And I can go on, as you can tell, at nausea and Donald, but that kind of gives you a snapshot of what we're after. Well, Dan, I want you to hold on. We have another guest that I want to bring on board so that he knows that, that we know he's on. Sure. And welcome, welcome to the show. We just uh, unmuted your mic. Hello? Hello. Hey, this is Alon Gorin, uh, founder of Invested In. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Alon, I wanted to just put <laughs> you on. I want to, um, we have Dan Antonelli on. We have Dan Lee on. We have now you, Alon, on. Uh, we're going to let Dan finish his pro uh, program uh, uh, discussion, and, and I hope Dan will stay on for the rest of the program. As we, uh, I like to bring together people and have some interactive discussions towards the end of the show. So, Alon, uh, if, if you'll just bear, uh, uh, listen, and if you have a pertinent comment, let us know. But uh, we're going to go back to Dan and uh, uh, Dan Lee. And Dan, I'm glad that you're staying on because uh, I have some more questions for you. Okay. Okay. Sounds great. So now, uh, so, so let us ask you the question we ask all entrepreneurs on this show. What have you learned that you would pass on to other small businesses? Uh, one, one of the big ones, Donald, is a lot of times everyone looks at the fray and they just go in. Uh, of course, you've read the, uh, you know, the Red Ocean, the Blue Ocean uh, treatises that people have come out with. And if you can find a business where you can find a niche in that business model, with a product that stands out, it's similar, but it's totally different than the others in quality. And uh, so you're not competing with a bunch of people that are bottom feeding for pride, and you're finding a niche of a client uh, that's looking for something that's better and more, you know, that will last longer, something to get hand down and that sort of thing. Because if you got that niche by yourself, there's nobody really to compete with so much as you are with the uh, uh, where you've got a lower-priced item where you have a bunch of people that are competing for uh, a certain audience where you've got a unique audience where you don't really have hardly any competition whatsoever. And uh, so uh, here's another example. We have a, a business, and we ship all over the world, NextDesk. And uh, just so you'll know when you get on there, I don't think I mentioned I'm the CEO for NextDesk there in Georgetown, Texas, but we ship all over the world. And 
in the summer we shipped 15 deaths to a corporation in the Cayman Islands, and we just are manufacturing another 16 for them now. It's not uncommon for them to do it in segments. But someone will get one, and then they'll order 15. Uh, we're in 50 major universities right now. Uh, uh, a year ago in October, we had uh, a certain model of deaths that we shipped, and October, a year later, we had an 1,100% increase in our uh, manufacturing facility just because of word of mouth. These are centers of influence. They talk to one another. So my suggestion is, is if you can get into an area where your audiences are professionals, these people network. Uh, they take a lot of pride in having high-quality things. They, they don't want run-of-the-mill things. And another little sidebar is from Christmases and Hanukkah's past from all of my loved ones and friends, I learned that uh, uh, I always ended up with extra screws and bolts uh, because and spent way too much time trying to put things together for the children during the holiday season. So 85% of the next deaths are actually pre-assembled here at our manufacturing facility before they go out. So literally the setup and assembly of a very, very nice height adjustable desk is like 15 to 20 minutes. Anyone can do it very, very easily. So those are just some little snippets that I could say is find yourself a niche with a, a an audience that will appreciate the value of your product. And, and don't build something necessarily to a price point. Build it to uh, the standard you want and then price it out and cost it out. That would be my best suggestion I could give your audience. Um, okay. Dan Antonelli, let me ask you a question. You, uh, you've listened to, to Dan Lee. Uh, what would you... How would you go about um, envisioning a logo for him? Seems he's been successful uh, with the logo he's got, but how would you go about uh, asking, uh, working a logo for him? Um, yeah, certainly we would want want to in, engage in a, in a more in-depth discussion about who our audience is and what their likes might be, their tastes, um, and sort of what we want that brand experience to be when, when they might hit the site um, and, you know, what we're trying to promote and establish ourselves are as, um, again, whether we're, we're a, uh, you know, a premium or a value brand or, you know, set that level of expectation, you know, really drilling down from the brand itself and what it communicates to them. So if they knew nothing else about the company and they, and they came to that website, for the first time, you know, what would they feel about the company and what would they, uh, you know, likely perceive the value to be that that company could provide them, you know, in comparison to some of the other players in that market and certainly it's a crowded market. So, you know, I think it would be really important to make sure that that brand messaging spoke to the brand promise. Um, Which in this case is quality and the ability to improve health. Yeah. Would that, would that be the case, Stanley? Yeah. Well, a lot of it, of course, is, is health-based, Donald. Uh, we've got a workforce out here. Uh, some of us threw ourselves around way too much when we were uh, in our uh, early days in sports and whatever and probably hurt ourselves, which I, I'm one of those. Then we have a lot of people that have lower back issues, carpal tunnel and things like that. And so, uh, you know, they, uh, they, they're tired of taking pills. Uh, they're tired of... Uh, uh, people talking to them about putting the knife to them and this and other. We weren't really meant to sit, Donald. Uh, if you look at the aboriginal races, they stand and they squat, basically. Uh, we were meant to stand, but you don't want to stand all day long. What you want to do is have control over your working lifestyle. So in the beginning, for example, when I set my first next desk up that we built, and by the way, in the logo name, the next desk, it kind of talks about what's happening and what we're going to do with the paradigm. There's a there's a huge tsunami of change in the, in the air right now about lifestyle. And if you can be on the front side of that tsunami, you can do things that probably at a much more accelerated rate than you did before, Dan. And uh, so by the name of the desk itself, I think that has helped us quite a bit too. The other thing is, is when you Google certain things on our website, you'll find if you Google height adjustable desk or any of that stuff, you'll find... And, this, by the way, that we have exercised word usage and this, that, and the other all over the web, all over the uh, Google uh, thing that we've been able to exercise, and you'll see we're right up there on the front page of Google if you go into that. But back to the health issue, a lot of the heart issues, a lot of the diabetic conditions and all of these other things have to do with a lifestyle. And if you're forced as part of your lifestyle to be in a sitting position, your metabolic rate is non-existent. 
I mean, it's just you're just and uh, uh, we, we've got we've got people in offices that no disrespect to them, but if you're taking in more calories than you're burning, something's got to happen. You get fat. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. Well, well, two things, Dan. Uh, only my mother called me Donald when she was angry at me, so call me Don. But you also right, gave a, a great segue into Alon because uh, there is a tsunami coming, and it's in the financing of small business, and he's right in the forefront of this. Alon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, Alon, we always ask our guests to say a little bit about themselves personally before we get into anything else. So tell us a little bit about yourself. About myself personally, um, yeah, I'm uh, born and raised in Southern California. Uh, come from a very entrepreneurial family. Um, uh, spent most of my life working for my dad's small business uh, that he built from scratch. That's basically a shop that rebuilds auto parts. Um, when I was in college, worked my way through, but um, ended up uh, working in tech companies because I'm a supercomputer nerd and ended up where I am today, which is basically trying to use the technology that I've been uh, a part of for so long to transform the way small businesses uh, raise money and um, and move forward with all that. Well, exactly. How do you help? Well, what we do, um, we, we basically started off, uh, our, the premise for our company was pretty simple. We went online and we thought, there were no good ways to raise money online. Um, there was tons of technology we were using, my partner and I, for different companies we worked for. We were working at the time for a company that was uh, basically revolutionized karaoke online. It was the first internet karaoke company. And it was acquired by MySpace, uh, which was owned by Fox Interactive Media. And we were a part of like the open social sort of revolution where there was uh, people basically coming online for the first time and meeting each other and uh, really collaborating on different things, whether it was singing songs together or uh, in business. And so we were basically offended that there was no no way to use these tools to actually you know, constructively raise money online. There were really simple tools like PayPal and things like that, but there wasn't anything collaborative. Um, and so on the side, we started building it ourselves more just to do it for fun than we did it for uh, a business. But about two years ago, um, we quit our day job to do it full time. And what we, our real specialty is actually, you know, uh, customizing and hosting the technology for folks who are raising money online. But through it, um, we've, we've helped tons of folks raise money online, whether they're video game companies, small businesses, uh, filmmakers, um, uh, celebrities, uh, you know, all, all sorts of people, whether they're in the nonprofit world or the for-profit world, raise money online. So starting to use that expertise to help more and more folks. And then also, you know, we're launching a new, uh, a new product pretty soon called Invested in Alpha for the folks who are raising funds. Um, I mean, not just funds like money, but funds like uh, real estate funds, hedge funds, uh, venture capital funds, and stuff as well. So basically, taking taking you know what can be done online and really helping the masses um, the masses raise money. Well, how do, how do you help a small business raise money? More specifically, well, it goes sort of back to what um, one of the bands was saying earlier <laughs> about. How you know a small business nowadays, you know, can very easily represent themselves uh, online in a way that makes them seem a lot more legit, makes them seem like a much more viable, uh, uh, you know, solution for for folks. So, um, for example, you can go online and look at um, a small business's website and not know that they're a two-person team at home, and you can get sort of behind them in a way. That would be tough to do in an emotional setting when you go, okay, I can give, uh, for example, like think about, uh, I don't know, a, a big company that uh, manages money like a Charles Schwab or something like that. You would go on a site like that and go, wow, these guys are really impressive. They have tons of clients. They're, they're wonderful. 
Or you can go to a small boutique firm in your own town, and if they do a great job making a website, you might think that they're bigger than they are, and they'll actually be able to compete in terms of uh, customers, uh, you know, in terms of, of getting customers because they'll be able to show a face that seems uh, much more reliable. And I don't mean to say in a way where people can misrepresent themselves. They can do that. But what crowdfunding or what we're doing online with social fundraising is doing is basically evening the playing field. You used to, you used to have to know all those folks directly to help you raise money. Now what we're doing is basically going, if you've got a great idea and you've got a great sales pitch, we'll give you all the tools you can use basically to help yourself get to the point uh, that most people need years and years and years of experience and uh, networking to build. Um, and you know, a good, good products and good businesses and good pitches rise to the top. Um, and you'll see the folks you know, on sites like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, the more popular sites uh, that really come from nothing, have the greatest product and greatest idea for a business and actually raise hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars for those businesses. It's a really exciting time. But are you, in essence, another crowdfunding uh, offering, or are you? How are you different? Uh, what we do is we actually power the technology for folks who want to launch, uh, who want to launch their crowdfunding businesses. So you know, we run a site for Coca-Cola for their water brand in Mexico, um, and they have. There's, they have a site with thousands of basically, you know, crowdfunding uh, campaigns for small businesses and uh, and sort of um, transforming uh, charities and uh, sustainable businesses in Mexico. And Coca-Cola, you know, basically funds part of the money and opens it up to the community to fund the rest. Um, and what we do is we power the technology. We have another site called Alberta Booster, which is a community-owned bank in Alberta. Wanted to basically make a free Kickstarter type of site for businesses in Alberta, Canada. Um, we do uh, another one uh, called First Funder. We did another one uh, called Seed Kicks. We did another one called Fund a Feast. So we power tons of these sites that that help people. And then what we do is we offer the ability for them to create really custom campaigns. So Eva Longoria Foundation came to us and said they wanted to raise money for schools in Southern California, and we helped them come up with a campaign that was, you know, looked sort of similar to, to crowdfunding campaigns you see on other places, but what it does is, what we did for them is make something really custom that matched her branding and fit who foundation. Um, we did something similar for the Avril Lavigne Foundation. We've done stuff similar for... Uh, for um, video game companies. So, you know, our specialty is really doing the custom work and also consulting in how to make sure they raise a lot of money once they do get that custom work. I'm a small business. Well, let us say I'm, I'm in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, do I come to your site? Uh, I want to expand. I want to uh, somehow or other get $100,000 to uh, build a, uh, another another facility in um, Ames, uh, uh, in, in another part of Kansas. Is, is that what you do? Sure. I mean, it's, it's definitely possible. It'll depend on the type of business, and it depends what you are really looking, uh, looking to do. And, uh, you know, so, for example, uh, use uh, what I was saying, my dad's industry. So he, he owns a shop that rebuilds auto parts. And... Um, if he were to do something like that, I would suggest um, to him that he put together a campaign that could really serve his customers. So I, he, his biggest asset in, in a campaign like this, everybody's biggest asset in a campaign like this is their network they already have. Um, and they're going to need to basically come up with a pitch to sell to that network um, and the network of that network. So. You know, my dad could probably tell his customers, we need to expand the business. It'll help us serve you better. It'll make sure that we sell you better products. Uh, we're going to have this new product line in the new building. Whatever, whatever the reason you need to expand is, you sell that to them. And then you need to offer them something in return that's, that's worth, you know, their money. And so for existing customers, maybe you tell them, look, we need to raise $100,000 right now to expand. 
So for every $100 you guys give us, we'll give you a $120 gift, uh, gift certificate or, or credit towards our business. Or, you know, um, in the future, you're going to be able to actually give real equity for something like that to your uh, customers and to, to folks. So maybe what you do is you actually tell them, look, for every 1000 bucks you give us, you're going to earn the actual percentage of our company. And we're, we're basically whacking off 20% of our uh, bad wording. We're, <laughs> we're uh, cutting off 20% of our business for our customers for this $100,000 we're going to raise. And you actually go out there and advertise and tell the community that they could own a piece of your business. Um, you and, and all that stuff is becoming legal now. Right. I think it becomes legal in the next few months. Am I right? But there's still so um, Theoretically, and we hope so, it, it should. It definitely should. Uh, this, these are rules and laws that's taken two years to actually come through up until now. So um, it's supposed to be happening um, in the next few months, and I hope it does. Okay. We have one, one final guest to, to, uh, tonight, Andy Craig, who uh, I find has a fascinating idea. Andy, are you with us? I am, Don. Thank you. Thank you for being patient and listening. I, uh, I like to do kind of create an interactive show. We, we have other people on, Dan Antonelli, Alan Gorin, and Dan Lee. But um, uh, I, I love, love what you said uh, in our discussion, which is uh, talk during the week like you talk on the weekend. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself, which is I, I always ask my guests. Yeah, I, my, I was listening to some of the other backgrounds of some of the other listeners. It is a fascinating way to begin any conversation. Um, I was a military brat, so my father was in the Coast Guard, so we traveled all around the East Coast and things, and I have now wound up after many stops down in Austin, Texas, on my own with my family here. And I think I guess one of the more interesting things, um, as you get older, you get a little less interesting, but... One of the more interesting things is uh, I recently started drumming uh, with a, a rock band, and we are coached every week by a professional musician, and it's been a really nice thing as a presentation coach to be on the other side of coaching, uh, to receive critique and feedback and to do something. One of the things I like about music that I think is a lot like giving a presentation is it's an, it's an exercise in both sides of the brain. It's a left brain activity. You've got to know the math of the song, where the beat is, how many bars it is until you come in. And you've also got to have an ability to fire up that right side of your brain, to be a little creative, uh, play a nice little riff, give a solo on, on an improv basis. And that's a lot like uh, how, how I coach executives or different business owners when it comes to presentations. It's really a left-brain, right-brain sort of activity that if you bring in uh, enough data and statistical evidence to support your assertion or your point, but you bring in the right-brain elements of storytelling and maybe a simple visual to support those kinds of things, when you combine those two elements of a presentation, you are probably doing a lot of things right in terms of delivering a narrative, delivering a message, but you're also giving the audience information that they can process, regardless of whether they are left-brain dominant or right-brain dominant thinkers. Well, let's stop right there and say the differences between the, uh, explain the differences between right uh, and left-brain. I've heard that so many times, and sometimes I get confused. <laughs> you and me both. I'll give you my definition of it. The left brain is the more analytical side, the, the numbers, the statistics, the analysis. The right brain is more of the creativity side, the artist in you, the rock and roll musician, those types of things. And, and really, it, the, the most difficult thing is for a left brainer to move into the right brain and back and vice versa. So when somebody gets prepared to give a presentation, if they are bringing information to the audience that approaches a left-brain thinker and a right-brain thinker, that is, if you bring them some data or statistics, you bring them a story, and those things all start to come together, if you build those Lego blocks of 
left brain content and right brain content together, you'll have a much more powerful presentation that has a greater likelihood to reach people out in the audience. You don't know who your audience is most of the time or many times, and you don't know how they think. Uh, you know, then there's another, there are the tactile thinkers. I once had a woman, throughout a whole presentation I gave, she knitted the entire presentation. She came up to me afterwards and she said, I'm really sorry, I hope that wasn't rude. I was knitting throughout the presentation, but I was listening. I found that I have to be doing something with my hands when I listen to people to really process it. And I said, no need to apologize, it wasn't rude at all. You were the only person in the entire audience who never broke eye contact with me the entire time I spoke. So everybody learns in different ways, and I think if, if you play the percentages and you bring them information and you present in a way that approaches each person's learning style and processing style, you're going to be better off. Well, uh, what did you mean by uh, speak um, during the week like speak on the weekend? That's what really caught my attention. It's a pretty simple concept. It's just that on the weekdays, we really overthink communication and presentations many times. I'm sure some of uh, your other experts on the phone have seen this in action, too. And, and I think the concept is really to let's get out of our own ways. And I'll take a step back and describe it. All of your listeners, all of the small business owners of the United States are great communicators two days out of the week, every week. That is on the weekends. You think about it, on the weekends when you go to a party and you communicate to someone, you present to someone, they say, hey, what happened in your week? You probably don't go right into your weekday language of, well, you know, let me tell you how I optimized my calendar last Wednesday to monetize my business. Nobody dresses it up and uses fancy words like that. That's weekday language. They use weekend language instead on those Saturday nights at the party. They tell a story about something that happened last Wednesday. And the audience listens. It's more meaningful in the moment. They laugh along. They ask questions. And if it's a really good story, they walk across the room and they tell their husbands, wives, friends, and neighbors, hey, you should have heard what happened to Andy last Wednesday. This is great. That's exactly what we want at the end of a weekday presentation for our business or our employment or our work or a job. We want people walking away repeating the things that we told them. And the things that people remember most in the moment and recall after the moment, according to all forms of research and according to our own individual experiences, are stories. We are hardwired for storytelling. It is innate to all of us. The biggest problem is we don't spend enough time bringing our messages and our important information about work, our great ideas, to life through storytelling in the weekday setting. So if we would just pull some of that weekend language and storytelling into our weekday affairs, we'd be much clearer communicators, we'd be much more compelling, and we might sell our ideas a lot better. Well, most people are on, uh, in business are uncomfortable telling a story, uh, unless they're really trained to do that. Or, uh, in, in my experience, when, when you... Uh, I use stories a great deal, but I've been a reporter most of my life, and all my life is uh, structured around stories. But yeah. I've noticed in business, uh, stories—they often start. Well, here's here's the problem, here's the solution, and, and never uh, bring in the per personal side of it. In my experience, yeah. in large co companies, at least. I agree that there isn't enough of it. I'm not sure why, because it couldn't be more of a natural thing to all of us. We're all trained as storytellers because it's, it's just who we are. It's one of the oldest forms of communication. It's telling stories, whether it's writing them on a cave wall or, hey, don't go out that door because there's a, a tiger that wants to eat us. I mean, there's always some form of storytelling that has existed since the earliest days. And as I said, we're doing it on the other days of the week. I think there are a couple of things that happen inside organizations that stand in the way. And I think you're right. People, I don't remember the exact phrase you used, but it's almost like people are afraid to tell them. They, they feel like they need to have the permission to go out and say that. In fact, I've had some clients say back to me in session, so you're actually giving me permission to tell stories and not use so much PowerPoint. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And I think that sometimes we fall into the tribal language mentality 
inside big organizations. You know, somebody at a Microsoft session once said, there's a tribal language in, in some of our, our business settings and in some of our business units. And if you don't speak the language of the tribe, sometimes they think that you're not smart enough or you don't really belong here. Those are cultural issues and of organizations, and it's not just Microsoft. It's any company that can have those sort of things. We see it everywhere. But I think if we stop trying to overthink it and trying to come across as someone who can use big $9 words in a conversation and just get back to the roots, the roots of communication are storytelling. Now, it's not the only thing that you should do to be a good communicator, but it is one core fundamental thing. And I think that's why we all can talk to any of our friends and our family members and our colleagues and ask them this question. Hey, do you ever watch any TED Talks, you know, the TED Conference? And everybody lights up, oh, my gosh, those are fantastic. Well, what is common to many of them? Many of them don't use PowerPoint at all. Many of them tell stories as a way of communicating some pretty big, complex ideas. Well, that, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. To, we're getting close to the end of the hour, and I want to get back to Dan Antonelli. But first, tell, tell us, you have a new book out. That's, that's correct. Yes, it's called Building a Big Small Business Brand. And uh, it was published about a month ago. And uh, it's basically kind of a roadmap that small businesses can use to uh, better understand why a brand is important and, you know, how they can leverage branding to um, build success for their business. If you had to leave uh, our audience with one thought, what would it be? I, I, would, say, I would say that for most small businesses, um, branding is something that is not – considered to be that important and as such that presents a unique opportunity for businesses that do embrace branding and understand why it's important to basically dominate the market and you know in our in our experience and what we've done for companies that we've we've branded you know we've really seen you know how successful they can be with the proper brand branding in place and the right tools at their disposal so um, I, I just think it's uh, it's an avenue overlooked by many, which which means it's an opportunity for those that embrace it to, you know, really stand out in a crowded market. Well, thank you, Dan. Dan Lee, um, uh, if people wanted to reach your website and, uh, and one final thought for our audience. Sure, uh, happy to, uh, Don. Uh, Either way, just so you all know, I was called Daniel most of my adolescent life because I was misbehaving most of the time. So. <laughs> and, and some people have told me I've never stopped, but uh, the uh, <laughs> yeah, of course, the, you just go to www.nextdesk.com and that will take you right to our website, and you can view the videos and the assembly and. It tells the, the whole emotional story of what, what needs to happen culturally in our workplace to turn this health, huge health problems that we've got in North America right now. We've got some serious, serious issues that have to happen at a cultural level. We've got to change our lifestyle, and so that's what we're after. But to, the second part to answer that question for you, Don, is I, I think if you would go into our assembly area where we actually are putting all these integral parts together to build next desk before we ship it to these these places and offices where they're eagerly awaiting changing their lifestyle. If you were to ask someone that's just an assembly doing something and you ask them what they did, I think it's unfortunate that many, many rank-and-file employees would say, well, I'm putting this part on this desk. That's my job. And I think you'd find at next desk that the person would say is, I'm in the process of helping to put together a desk that's going to change the health of people in America. And so I think at the, at the lowest common denominator, your mission statement has to ring through with all of the people that are involved in the food chain of what you're trying to do to translate the story of what you're trying to do. And, and uh, I think it's important to have everybody at that level, not just to have it as a job to be actively involved in something much bigger than just putting this here on a particular piece, and that would be the only thing that I would say. Well, thank you. Alon, um, how people can reach you and your final thought uh, that you'd like to leave? 
Yeah, um, you can reach me at, uh, uh, you could email me directly if you uh, want to get in touch. It's alon at invested.in um, or just go to investedin.com. Um, final thought, didn't get to touch down on this much earlier, but you know, um, if you want people to invest in you, they've got to trust you. Uh, the best way to get them to trust you is to uh, get shit done. Um, so tell everyone you know you're going to do something actually do it, then show everybody what you've done, and then ask them to invest in you. Uh, they'll be running to do it because they'll want to be a part of the next thing you do. Yeah, That's a great Alain, uh, One little note, pardon me, Don. Alain, I don't think you caught this the early part. Is you're right down the road where our facilities and campus are up right up the road on Shell Road in uh, Georgetown, just north of you. Uh, I am in Southern California. Not sure. Well, I, I thought you said it was Austin. No, that, that was one of that's the uh, one of the other that, guys. That's a, uh, that's a, uh, Andy. Andy's an awesome. Yeah, Andy. Sorry, sorry, Andy. You're right. You're right <laughs> down the road from us. Anyway, okay. I'd like to invite you up. Uh, all you have to do is just uh, email me at dan at dot com, and I'd love to have lunch with you and show you on campus here. Great. Thank you. You bet. Hey, if anybody so wants to come to Santa Monica, it's nice and sunny. I'll take you out to lunch. Hey, I'm ready. <laughs> but what I love about this program are, are the friendships that, when I do this kind of uh, show together, um, uh, there have been four or five, in fact, uh, 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 real friendships grown up out of bringing all the people together. I know sometimes you expect sometimes to be on alone, but when I get a mix like you, know, you fellows have been, I just feel mixing it up together uh, is, is better for you and for the audience. So, Andy, you get to uh, Andy, you get to first tell us the name of your book. I never got a chance to ask you the name of your book. Yeah, the name of our book is Weekend Language, and the subtitle is Presenting with More Stories and Less PowerPoint. Okay. And I think that's my if my last word that I would say is just a reminder that there are 30 million PowerPoint presentations delivered every single day around the world. That statistic is five years old, and wow. we can all agree that it's not getting any better <laughs> over the last five years. That's, That's crazy. That's it is crazy, and it, it makes you, if it doesn't make you a little bit nauseous, then you haven't sat on the other side of a lot of PowerPoint presentations recently. And it's not so much that it's PowerPoint the product, it's just the way that we are sometimes on the weekdays being a little lazy about communication. And I think that what I hope this book does is lay out a prescription for getting us back to our roots as being weekend language communicators, building around stories that bring to life the message and the products we're trying to deliver, and then building on that from there and, and getting better. So hopefully the prescription is there. If not, there are some videos at elevatorspeech.com that you can check out that cover various presentation points about how you say things, what you say, and how you look non-verbally when you say them. Well, I'll be buying the book for sure. I, I give oh, so you. many presentations as well, and I'm always looking for tips, so I'm so glad there's a book like this out there, and I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it. Thank you. Yeah, me too. I, I think that's real, real good information. A lot of the points that you brought out were phenomenal. I think that you nailed it right on the head there. And there's only one thing, Don, wrong with all of us getting together like this. Uh, I have a feeling that I'm the only one that has been standing during this. <laughs> hey, I, I can't. I can't sit down for more than five minutes. So this is a long. Uh, I've been pacing around in a circle in my office the whole time, actually, with the headset on. <laughs> as, far, as far as the powerpoints are concerned, at our conference room, uh, on campus we have a height-adjustable conference table, and it's amazing how quickly we can get something done when everyone's standing. Yeah, got to try. Got to try that sometime. And, well, the uh, military does it every day uh, for yeah. that reason. <laughs> Absolutely. Meetings move on a lot faster when you're standing at someone. They start shifting and bending over and taking deep breaths and sighing heavily. At that point, you know your audience isn't happy with the way you're presenting it. So it's not a bad idea. It's hard to stand while you're standing. Hard to sleep when you're standing up. Right. <laughs> but, Andy, what, uh, people wanted to reach you. How do they do it? 
On our website, www.elevatorspeech.com or andy at elevatorspeech.com is my email address. All right. Gentlemen, thank you for a very illuminating uh, evening and for staying on so long. And I really appreciate uh, I think our audience uh, really learned a lot tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Don. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.